Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, so we are uh, kicking off this year with an ALEC webinar hosted by ALEC Commerce Insurance and Economic Development Task Force. And um, as you saw in the emails, January is dedicated to preventing human trafficking. And so we wanted to host a webinar addressing this issue in ways that um, these groups represented today are working to prevent it and fight against it and combat it across America. So we have um, different groups represented today that are going to be talking about their ongoing efforts in this fight. And we'll be hearing from all of them. And then we will continue to a Q&A section at the end of the webinar. So if you have questions, feel free to put them in the Q&A box or also in the chat box. I'll be looking to both uh, for questions from the audience. Um, before we get started, I'd also like to mention that this conversation we're hosting today is a continuation of a conversation Alec hosted last year in Atlanta, Georgia. We had a great web um, plenary session that talked about combating human trafficking. I'm going to drop the link to that video in the chat, but we're going to get started with our conversation today. And uh, for our first speaker, I'd like to introduce Dave Chrisman. He is the Vice President of State Affairs at the National Beer, uh, Beer Wholesalers Association. Thank you, Dave. All right, thank you, Gretchen. Hopefully, uh, let's see if I can do my screen share. Thank you, Gretchen, and, and thank you, Alec, for uh, giving us this opportunity and for focusing on this issue. Uh, this has been something that we're now in our third year of really diving into and, and uh, really spending a lot of time and a lot of resources uh, training our members across the country. Um, you know, one thing about uh, MBWA and beer distributors, uh, you know, we represent not the brewers in the industry, not the retailers, but uh, every beer truck you see, every warehouse you see out on the warehouse and, and the beer trucks you see out on the road, uh, the sales force, the merchandisers, the marketers, the, the folks that go into these retail accounts each week. And so, you know, we found that our members are somewhat uniquely positioned uh, to, you know, get into more than 600,000 retail accounts across the country. And, and sometimes, have access to those back rooms or, or those areas that law enforcement and others might not. So uh, we partnered back in 2020 with a group called Street Grace uh, based out of Atlanta, Georgia, to put together a training module for our 140,000 distributor employees across the country. Um, you'll see here on the screen in, in just over two years, uh, we've been thrilled with the success. Uh, we've had distributors in all 50 states and the District of Columbia go through this training. Uh, more than 250 companies in whole, and, and as you see, more than 30,000 of our distributor employees across the country um, have gone through this training. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have sought, you know, partnerships, sought to, you know, bring even more uh, attention to this issue. And you, know, you see here on the screen, uh, we've done events with 11 different state attorneys general uh, focused on the human trafficking campaign. Uh, you see in the bottom right, uh, First Lady Kemp uh, from Georgia. Uh, we've done events with uh, other governors, other legislative leaders. Uh, you know, it's really been a great opportunity to, you know, kind of have that public-private partnership uh, on an issue that everyone can agree on. Uh, but, you know, as we talk about it from our side, uh, I don't want to talk too much from the national level. Instead, I'd like to introduce uh, Mike Markovich. Mike is the, the Vice President of Community, Community Relations at Summit Beverage uh, in Montana. Uh, and our Montana Beer and Wine Distributors Association has, has really been a great leader on this. And, and Mike has been uh, right there at the top uh, as they've uh, launched the Sentinel Project, which is a local collaborative effort to educate and address human trafficking across the state. 
Uh, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us a little bit more about the inspiration you had to get involved in the important work uh, that the Sentinel Project has done in Montana. So, Mike, take it away. Well, great, Dave. Thanks for that, uh, the kind words and introduction. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike Markovich, coming to you from the great state of Montana, um, where it is a balmy 23 degrees and snowing out right now. So hopefully you have sunshine where you are all at. Anyway, um, I want to just take a few moments here to provide some background and some information on the Sentinel Project. This is something that was born on the national level with NBWA back in, uh, I want to say it was about June of 2020. Um, I was uh, at, at a national beer meeting and beer wholesalers meeting, and this idea came up. Uh, it was an, an, an initiative, Distributors Against Human Trafficking. And at the time it came up, I thought, to myself, well, what what is human trafficking? And something was pulling me into it. And the idea is that beer distributors, our employees are in very unique places that the general public is not in very early morning hours. And so the idea is if we can train our people, our employees on the signs of what to look for with human trafficking, we can sort of be that silent and the silent person out there that sees this and can safely report it to law enforcement. Um, I know myself, once I learn more about this, I grew up in the beer business. Um, I have seen this hundreds of times. I just didn't know what I was looking at. And once you get educated on the issue, it sort of empowers you and gives you, I don't know, I guess a new sense of purpose. And in training our employees, it is really created this elevated sense of teamwork and that now we're here to not just deliver beer. We have a whole different mission in life. So um, at the time I was uh, also the president of the Montana Beer Wine Distributors Association. And so I was in a pretty unique position to be able to bring this issue to light with our state association. So I recall as I was flying home on the plane after that NBWA meeting back to Montana, Something was just pulling me in on this initiative. And, you know, I've got two, two little girls at home. And so it, it, it was even that much more powerful. And so I presented the idea to our board of directors and I had immediate 100% buy-in from the group. We, we couldn't wait to get going. It's like, what do we do? How fast can we run? Let's get this thing done. So what we did um, Dave, if you want to go to the next slide, what we did is we we initiated a 90-day time frame to get the project put together, educate folks, and launch it. And we were all in with this thing. So we were very careful on how we chose the name and then the logo that you see on your screen. We wanted it to have a little bit of Montana in it, but we didn't want to focus it so much on beer distributors that we alienate other industry members. So one more click there, Dave, will fill out that umbrella that shows all the other folks that we are currently rolling into the Sentinel Project to educate them on what to look for. So we wanted to be very careful, again, that we you know, didn't alienate other industries by just having a beer truck as the, the logo, et cetera. So we began a four-step process that we decided, you know, how are you going to eat the elephant one bite at a time? So four bites on this one. The very first step was to utilize local resources that are already there. So I know in your communities too, there's all there's a group over here doing their thing and a group over here doing their thing. And how do we take best practices and, and bring it all together for one great project? So my first call 
was to a gentleman by the name of Lowell Holkalter. Lowell founded the Lifeguard Group and is the president of that association. And once I had a chance to sit down with him and learn more about this issue, my jaw hit the floor and I was like, oh my God, this is happening. This is happening in Missoula, Montana, population 100,000 people. Like that's not supposed to happen here. That only happens in big cities. And so it was a major eye opener for me as we started to walk through this. So one of the key components of the beginning of this program was A, to involve the lifeguard group. They are the local experts on this thing. They have volunteers. They're the boots on the ground. So when this phone number is called, this hotline number, which also launched at the same time the Sentinel Project did, this is a key thing that the public doesn't understand. You call that number, that number then, or, or 911, the cops show up and arrest the bad guy. They don't help the victim. The victim is left there to find his or her own way. That's where the lifeguard group and these other local groups step in to provide resources, care, and help get that person back on their feet. The next slide, and you're going to see we're, we're big fans of QR codes. Um, feel free to grab a, a quick shot of that with your camera on your phone. And that'll, these are some of the resources that we deployed as we move through the project that make it super quick and easy, take all the human error out of it. I believe this particular code will take you to the phone number that you saw in the previous slide. Next slide talks about, is it working, right? You don't wanna do something and not have it work. We launched this thing in 2020. There were six calls to that human trafficking hotline in the entire year. Look at 2022. I mean, it's, it's, it's working very good. And the awareness that we're driving across the state through um, partnerships with local government, public-private partnerships has really just been um, paying dividends. Next slide takes us into step two. We realized that we had to localize the message. So in our general advocacy efforts as beer distributors in general, we use video a lot because you know, it would take me four hours to explain here what maybe a three or four minute video could do. And what we found in that is that when we do these videos, the messaging has to be local. This is actually one of our beer trucks in Missoula, Montana on a lovely winter day. And once we localized it, that's where we really added rocket fuel to the messaging and people wanted to watch it and, and said, I know that guy, he's in my church or he was at the bar stool next to me last night at the bar. And so it really, it makes it real. So what we did is created a 30 minute long training video, which I'll make sure everybody um, has access to. It's, it's on the, the web available to watch anytime. We'll make sure at the end that we get that information to you. But I wanted to show you a quick clip here of what I'm talking about in action. Dave, take it away. I think a route driver would be great helping out because you know, any day we're taking 25, 30 stops out. So it's, you know, in and out of these alleyways, these tiny towns in Montana, some, some places where, you know, other people don't really get the opportunity to go to every day we're in. So it's just more bodies and eyes. I think before it was in the back of everybody's heads, you know, nobody's really paying attention, looking for it. But if we provide everybody with the knowledge and information on uh, you know what to look for 
and how to help these victims if we do see anything. We have the resources to do it. Kind of makes you feel good that, you know, on top of everything else we do, we're able to take an extra step and help out. So that just gives you a little taste of the video. It's super impactful. Um, and uh, I'll talk more about that as we get into this. But one of the, um, the challenges we had, again, is convincing beer distributors in Montana that this is real. Um, I needed a little convincing early on, but I got it very fast and very quickly. And uh, what happened for me is what I distilled down to the moment. and. The moment is when you realize this is a real thing and the flame inside of you starts to burn and you want to get involved and you want to jump in the deep end of the pool and go get it. And some people have already had that moment. Uh, some will have it and some may be having that moment now. This is a heat map that overlays the human trafficking. This, this correlates to the, the phone calls that came in to the hotline. And the next slide overlays locations where distributors are located and it's almost a direct correlation and some of these hot spots the one right in the very center is a truck stop that is literally out in the middle of nowhere you would never think this happens there and so once we showed this information to our group that's where people really started to go okay this is real so what did we do part of the project is that sticker just to the left of the cell phone on the screen Every beer truck in the state of Montana has that sticker in the windshield up by the odometer, or not the odometer, the oil change sticker, top left corner. And so you can grab your phones right now and scan either one of those codes. And so it will pull up either the training video, the one that I referenced, the 30-minute training video, so a driver can watch that, um, or the hotline. We've also made the training video a part of our onboarding process for new employees. They're required to watch it. So the next thing we did to keep the project going is we included freedom kits. Every one of our beer trucks, every beer truck in the state has a freedom kit in it. These have general toiletry items and can be handed to, uh, if you see a potential victim at a truck stop or wherever, you can hand this to them. And one of the key components of it is we use a key phrase and we say, check out the chapstick. Next slide talks about the chapstick. In that tiny print on the chapstick, when the victim receives this packet, the trafficker is likely going to rifle through it and go, what is that? Because they're not in charge of their own property. And they're going to rifle through it. And we hope that they look right past the fine print on the chapstick and just think it's a warning label. But those are resources for that victim to be able to get help. Next slide takes us to step three. Um, we've got the project put together. Now we have to inform and train the distributors across the state. So the next slide talks about a time a timeline that we laid out to quickly launch this thing um, in basically a month. And I am just so pleased with the team that we were able to get this the, the kits shipped statewide, put it into trucks, and sent out. Everybody's completely on board, and the numbers to the hotline, those calls actually confirm that that is the case. Finally, um, this is you know where the project is up and running. And now we are working to build partnerships, local partnerships. One of the key partnerships was in February 2021, 
with our newly elected attorney general, we formed a public-private partnership, which um, was very well received. Uh, Austin Knutson is our attorney general, and he has just been a pioneer on, 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 on awareness to the public with this issue. In fact, the next slide talks about just last week, we had, um, we had some legislation that was passed as a result that, that, that strengthens up the penalties uh, on the Johns because oftentimes they get off scot-free. And so the, the bill, as you can see, the votes that are passed unanimously, which is, as you all know, in state legislatures is far and few between when we have legislation that, that does that. But it would make a basically um, uh, uh, an offense that was previously punishable and, and categorized as a misdemeanor now becomes a felony. So um, those guys, you know, they're going to serve some hard time for, for, for this stuff. So with that, the final slide here, I know that was fast and furious, um, but if you scan this code, this will take you directly to our website where you can view some of the materials in this presentation. And I would please, please, please encourage you to watch the training video towards the bottom of the screen, uh, towards the bottom of the webpage, rather. It's embedded right there. I am happy to share that with anyone and everyone. All these resources are public. We are happy to put them in anyone's hands that would like to get them. And um, with that, Gretchen, I'll, I'll turn it back to you and, and stand by for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And also thank you, Dave. Uh, yes, as Mike said, if you do have a question, um, please put it in the chat or also in the Q&A and we will get to that towards the end of the webinar. Uh, I would like to introduce the next speaker now. Uh, Katie Wright is the Senior Director of State and Local Government Affairs at the American Hotel and Lodging Association, um, and she's going to be talking about their efforts in this fight as well. Yeah, thank you, Gretchen, and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I'm actually going to turn it over to my colleague, Eliza McCoy. Um, she started her career in law enforcement as an investigator with the Manhattan DA's office before turning her career focus to issues related to child safety and protection. She has worked at all levels, local, national, and international to support public and private sector stakeholders in their efforts to keep communities safe. She most recently led the transformation of outreach training and prevention programs at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children before joining AHLA Foundation last May um, to drive forward the next phase of our industry's anti-trafficking efforts. With that, Eliza. Um, hello, everyone. It is nice to be here uh, this afternoon. I'm fresh off a bunch of travel for Human Trafficking Prevention Awareness Month. So glad to be here this afternoon and share with you particularly what the Hotel and Lodging Association has been working on over the last several years and, and our current efforts. I wanted to give a little bit of background just as context in that I work for the foundation, which is the charitable giving arm of the American Hotel and Lodging Association. And so our responsibilities in this space are to support the communities where our members are operating their companies, working and living. And we do that through a variety of different programs with human trafficking and awareness and prevention being just one pillar of this work that I'll be sharing today. And no room for trafficking is the umbrella under which we talk about these efforts, but it really, um, this particular effort began as an awareness campaign uh, in 2019. 
building on what has been our industry's longstanding commitment and leadership on this issue, but really unifying us under a particular messaging and one goal at the time, which was to train every single hotel industry employee and how to spot, identify, and report suspected human trafficking. And so in this space since 2019, we've been doing a number of different activities, which we can't sort of fully capture here in the time that we have, but the core pillars of this work have been in the training awareness and member resources space. And you'll see here too, we also like QR codes. <laughs> and on the screen, you'll see that our training partners in this space are Polaris, Marriott, and Ekpat. We have a number of different industry training programs designed, again, to equip employees with not just information about what human trafficking can look like, but then what do we do in that scenario, um, both in terms of internal reporting and external to the human trafficking hotline, victim service providers, um, law enforcement where appropriate. And so we've developed both an introductory training as well as some more advanced training that's specific for, for managers on hotel properties, accessible for free and distribution across the entire industry. But through that particular program to date. So since 2020, when that particular module launched, we've trained about 844,000 industry employees. And that's actually just one small component of our industry-wide training efforts, as many of our members have produced and support and distribute their own training programs. So for example, Marriott and their um, members, they've trained over a million of their associates. So the number is really vast in terms of our reach and distribution of training. And I'd really say we're, we're never going to hit that goal of every single employee, but we're going to keep on trying. And I think we certainly are saturating this space with that type of, it, of equipping of skills of our industry. And at the same time, we find it really important to raise awareness, not just within our industry, but outside of it, about the nature of the issue, as well as our efforts to combat it. And so you'll see here some examples of the Super Bowl awareness raising campaign that we did in partnership with It's a Penalty last year. The result of those efforts um, at the Super Bowl last year was that 14 children were rescued from child sexual exploitation. So we see this awareness raising and this training really changing lives. And in fact, that's where I was yesterday was a kickoff event for this year's Super Bowl in, in the Phoenix area, and really looking forward to seeing how those efforts combined with all of our leading nonprofit organization partners are going to lead to similar, if not even more impact and changing lives. We also host an annual summit around World uh, Day Against Trafficking in Persons. This past year, the No Room for Trafficking Summit brought together a number of our partners, both in the private and public sectors, including MBWA and um, the Chamber, to talk about really where is human trafficking now? So we we had not come together uh, across the industry since the pandemic. And so talking about post-pandemic, what are we seeing? How are we evolving our efforts? And where are there opportunities for more innovation and partnership? And then throughout all of this time, we are also producing resources for our members, including a legislative sort of inventory called Unpacking Human Trafficking that provides insights into the constantly changing legislative landscape. Um, you know, others on this call will talk about different state-based laws, and it is it is a constantly changing landscape that our members need to be equipped with knowledge of. And so that um, we now have a real-time map that's accessible um, to track that legislation, understand what are the obligations of our industry sort of above and beyond and in line with what we are already doing voluntarily. And we also have a member resource guide that outlines all of our um, 
collateral that we offer for free and use in the hotel property space. So everything from signs to sample policies to sample legislation. And so it's just an opportunity to, for our members to have a clearinghouse of information and materials. I'm hoping this video will work with sound. Um, if not, I'm going to put, because I know we talked about this just prior to me, um, hopping on here. But this video is going to just give a quick glimpse into the most recent summit because it, it was not only important to us coming out of the pandemic, but also because of a major announcement we were able to make this most recent year. See here? Are you sound? For years, we've been talking about this being an incredible moral cause for our industry and needing to do something about it, not just assisting, but actually creating a spotlight, even on ourselves, saying, what can we do to be part of the solution? You see, without the support of services, once a victim is identified and escapes their trafficking situation, 80% will end up re-victimized. By making sure that survivors aren't only identified in their trafficking situation, but that they have a place to receive restorative services so that they can enter the workforce ready and able. The heart of our efforts center around survivors. Everything our industry does to combat trafficking is aimed at how we can identify and help those who are victimized. But they are more than their stories of exploitation. They are survivors who deserve to thrive on their path forward from that moment into the future. So, um, I get goosebumps every time I actually see that video because I think this tremendous evolution of our efforts as an industry is really working towards meeting those needs that we know are real time um, for survivors. And so I'm excited to announce you'll see here on the screen, we've raised two and a half million dollars now to date with the most recent contribution of IHG hotels and resorts of a half million dollars as of Tuesday of this week. And so these funds and the, the contributions from the industry are going to be awarded to community-based organizations that are providing those types of direct resources to survivors to help them towards financial stability and empowerment and really to stop that cycle of re-victimization that we know characterizes many of these cases and experiences. And so to truly stop prevent them, stop human trafficking and really prevent it from happening again and again and again is to provide that type of direct support to survivors when they exit their human trafficking experience. So just as a quick overview to ensure that you kind of understand our strategy at the foundation, we continue to train employees to build awareness of the industry and within the industry and to develop these member resources hand in hand with national partner organizations like the ones you see at the bottom of the screen here. And then we are also working through community-based organizations to support those, those needs that I just talked about, not only through the Survivor Fund, 
but also through our existing workforce development and scholarship programs that we have in place and are already operating at the foundation. It's really about tailoring those resources and working with the right organizations to get them to the survivor population. So we're really excited about this evolution of our efforts. We spent a lot of time on the road talking about this. You'll see here a number of recent engagements that we've had. But the one that has really been, I, I would say, resonates most and is most important to us as an industry is the one in the sort of bottom right corner where we were able to this last week award a team from Dallas Fort Worth International Airport with a Shining Star Award of the industry for having identified a young woman in their hotel lobby who was um, rescued from her human trafficking victimization um, and returned home. And it's those types of stories that really are the reason we do all of this, right? And we are we ensure that we take a moment to really share that impact with the world because that's why we do it, right? We look forward in this upcoming year to a lot of continued outreach and awareness raising. For those of you that um, are familiar with this space already, then you know Polaris who operates the National Human Trafficking Hotline. They're going to be releasing the first ever national survivor study. And that is the first rigorous scientific study of survivor voices. And we'll be a part of that release in February. And I think that will help to inform all of our efforts moving forward. And then we'll also be pairing a lot of our anti-human trafficking education awareness raising with the On the Road series that our membership association does as well. So you may see locations here that you're, you're in or have others that you're in, you know, work with that you would like us to engage in these efforts. So I wanted to make sure I shared those. And then of course, we'll continue to expand our career development programs um, for the survivor population. So we're really excited to see what's to come in 2023. This is just my contact information. I look forward to speaking, you know, sort of after in the Q&A section, but also available and follow up for any questions you might have. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Eliza. Um, and I, there's a lot of resources that have been mentioned today, so I'm going to be gathering those up and sending them out to everybody who's in attendance today, so that way they'll have links in an easy email for them. Uh, for our final, final speaker today, I would like to um, introduce Michael Billet. He is the Director of Policy Research and Employment Policy at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, so, Michael, thank you for joining us today, and I'll get your um, presentation pulled up. Thanks, Gretchen and Alec, for having the chamber present as part of this firm. For first, um, like uh, Gretchen said, I'm Michael Billet. I'm the program director here and the director of policy research for the Employment Policy Division. And as part of my portfolio, I oversee the work of the task force to eradicate human trafficking. For those that don't know, the chamber is a federation and we represent state and local chambers. We also represent associations and we represent uh, our members, which are broad-based national, or they can be international with a business presence in the U.S. So we do have a broad portfolio of interests. And um, as such, the task force is an advisory group made up of our member companies and associations who work with the federal government and the private sector to develop common sense solutions on this topic and speak with one voice. Our objectives are uh, prevention to raise prevention and awareness, engage in advocacy, and empower survivors. And we commend the work of the other panelists on this webinar, MBWA and AHLA, and we work closely with both of those organizations as well. Um, as such, um, we, I want to go through um, toolkits and resources that is, all of these can be found on uschamber.com. And if you go to the next slide, Gretchen. So this one is our first original one that we did. Um, 
it's, it's a joint toolkit with A21, who many of you um, know, uh, in conjunction with their campaign, whose uh, mission is to abolish slavery everywhere, forever. This particular cool toolkit, which is called Stop Trafficking Now, educates businesses on how to detect and stop uh, labor trafficking in their supply chains. On to the next slide, please. Our second one, and we just had an industry conference against uh, transportation sectors with truckers against trafficking, and many of you in the industry are familiar with Candace Paris, uh, who started that, and her sister. And we worked with them, and specifically for those that aren't familiar, they're a nonprofit organization that educates, equips, empowers, and mobilizes members of the trucking, bus, and industry energy industries to con combat human trafficking. And this um, trafficking toolkit complements the A21 because whereas the A21 focuses purely on labor trafficking and forced labor and supply chain, this one talks about uh, the dangers posed by sex trafficking and it tells and provides best practices for industry. So if we could go on to the next slide. So during COVID, um, you know, we pivoted as many organizations did and we, and we produced this annual report. Um, we had one really in-person conference in 2019 and 2020. And then we had a number of quarterly events in 2020 uh, after the pandemic, and then as well as uh, Chamber's advocacy efforts. So one thing that we're very good at the Chamber is going to lobby on Capitol Hill. That's pretty much our bread and butter. And we also work with our members and with the member stakeholder group and this task force. We supported the Non-Invisible Act, which was to uh, better coordinate uh, human trafficking, anti-human trafficking efforts between industry, private industry, the private sector, uh, the federal government and uh, tri native tribes. So that one was passed with chamber support. And then we also oppose misguided legislation. Sometimes the supply chain transparency bills, they they sound good on surface, but in reality, they put extra obligations and it's just impractical for all of our members to comply with many different policies on this. So we are looking to speak with one voice. And that is uh, one of the key things to, to discuss with members of Congress and also certain select state legislatures about supply chain transparency measure. So on to the next slide, please. So the next one, we uh, partnered with um, the Counter Human Trafficking Compliance Solutions. They have a journal. So uh, they, their journal has a, this is a special edition of their journal, and it provides an overview of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's blue campaign. Um, it does have a healthcare provider patient point, and then it also highlights our role as the voice of industry. If we could go on to the next slide, please. Um, so the next slide is uh, the 2021 virtual event. So we had three, we had four events, but this publication talks about three of them. Uh, COVID-19's impact on human trafficking, tackling forced labor and supply chains in the transportation and hospitality industries against human trafficking. And as you can see, there's overlap between uh, the other presenters. On to the next slide. As uh, Liza was presenting on AHLA Foundation, we work with an organization, the Alliance for Freedom, Restoration, and Justice in Randstad. Uh, and we do put together toolkits about emp empowering business strategies to empower human trafficking survivors. Uh, this one talks about just practical steps that individuals who have been marginalized and um, how to sort of uplift those. And for those that have been trafficked, how to reintegrate them back into society. And it talks about just practical steps that organizations can use, such as just sponsoring a local drive, or if they are in interested in employing survivors, you know, working with both their legal counsel to, to uh, protect confidentiality and privacy to get them back on. So on to the next slide, please. 
so this is our really our publication talking about the laws. One one area where I have to stress that th this is a good umbrella group effort here, and there's many other stakeholders that are joining here as attendees. And one one problem or one thing that I really found as a researcher was there just wasn't a compendium of all these anti-human trafficking laws in one space. So I went and created, uh, had, did all the research and created it. So it's updated as of, um, I think, May of next uh, last year. And so I'll be sending another update of May of this year. But this one, as of May of last year, talks about all the laws, all the executive orders, the various treaties and conventions, and uh, specifically the international human rights area. Uh, there is a pending EU supply chain due diligence um, that it discusses, and it also talks about um, the federal laws and why sort of what laws are applicable to companies here in the U.S. So if we can go on to the next slide. So this is the most recent publication that we did with United Way Worldwide Center to Combat Human Trafficking. It's called Trust by Performance, Uniting Business and Philanthropy Against Trafficking. And it highlights what business leaders are doing with the philanthropic community. And we feature Delta, Deloitte, Marriott International, Pagodia, and UPS. And then there's the whole other section about technological, te te technological tools, such as Traffic Analysis Hub, which is spun off from IBM, Verite, uh, Cumulus Force Labor Screen, and then the Counter Human Trafficking Compliance solutions global risk assessment technology and all of these are used to sort of map where traffickers are as you saw earlier in the presentation a lot of times where you don't think the traffickers are or where they actually are so this these tools are useful um they're not a panacea but they are a useful tool to understand sort of what's happening on forced labor and commercial sex so those are what's on our website and i'd be more than happy to answer any questions both thank you everyone for having us here and Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, we will now move to our Q&A section for our speakers today. So if you have a question, feel free to put it in the chat. Um, you can put it in the Q&A box. And then if, you, if, the, if you're on your phone and you want to submit one, I'm going to put my email in the chat box, um, which I guess you can't see if you're on your phone. So I'll say it real quickly. And you can email me if you have a question. And I'll be checking my email to look for uh, any questions. So my email is G, B like boy, A L, D like David, A U at allet.org. So um, you can also email me if you're on your phone. Uh, just don't do it while driving, of course. Uh, anyways, so I'd like to um, ask some questions uh, for from each of you. Uh, obviously, ALEC um, is a kind of public-private partnership in that we bring together state legislators with private sector groups. So we're always looking, you know, for policies that will help the states and um, especially from a legislative standpoint. So I'd, I'd like to open this question to all of you. Um, maybe it's not applicable to all of you, but if it is, please feel free to speak up. Um, so in some of your guides, you have you might have policy recommendations for the different states. Are are those tricky and that states are set up so differently? So they really have to, you know, make them specific to their states, or are are there some policies that are very general and can kind of fit all states? If they are super specific, do you have a resource that can help um, these legislators and policymakers and legislative staff? Um, understand if it fits their state and how they can make it fit their state if they're looking to do it, which is a long question. So, <laughs> but just feel free to unmute yourself. I can kind of jump in here. So HLA de developed model legislation for, um, you know, our, in the, for the hotel and lodging industry. Um, 
it was finalized in 2019 and we started pushing it um, around the country for legislators to have and use. Okay. And what kind of, like, is it broad? Do you have, how many policies do you have? Is it really broad spectrum or is it kind of like we narrow down and these are the two issues that you just have to do in your state? Um, Well, it's, it's industry specific. So it's, catered to training every employee. And it's part of our broader five, five-star promise. Yeah. And I would say like to your question, Gretchen, I mean, especially in this space, we're seeing so much customization by state. So where, where it would do all of us some good to have more standardization to a degree for, for national and international companies, there's inevitably a lot of customization by state. And what we encourage, and I think speaking on behalf of the association government affairs team, which, which focuses in this area, we just encourage that we're part of those conversations, right? To work with us um, in developing those customization. So you know what we're already doing sort of voluntarily and where there are areas of opportunity, but that it's a collaborative process to create those sort of state-specific, um, you know, opportunities or issues and, and answers, frankly. One area, and I would piggyback off of what Liza is saying, is like uh, the state vacator and expungement laws, especially for some of the survivors, especially particularly if they have criminal records. Um, you know, it is a barrier. It may po- pose as a barrier to employment. So we are advocating for ex- expungement and vacator laws in uh, certain in the state scenarios. So I did, that's in the AFRJ Survivor Empowerment Toolkit, and it talks about some of the barriers. And that is in one particular that you know, working with the state legislatures, that they may be able to remove it in all, but not, uh, you know, not all, but in particular scenarios. So I would highlight that. Okay. Do you have um, sample model legislation already developed or you, you're you um, supporting the idea um, and maybe you don't have model legislation, but you could help. Yeah, we, we're just supporting the concept. The I concept okay. is if there is a criminal history, because not all survivors have criminal history, but if there is criminal history and it's not based off of federal law, if it's based off of state law and they, they're seeking employment, you know, that is one area where the employer may look at. So, uh, you know, that does go out, that is a barrier that may pose as a barrier. And that's part of our broader criminal justice reform initiative here at the chamber. I see. Okay. Uh, Gretchen, I don't know that I have much um, to offer seeing as I'm coming from one state. Um, I don't have the broad knowledge the other folks do, but I can tell you and share with you that we are sort of playing catch up in Montana. And um, while it's been going on here for a really long time, people are finally opening their eyes to it, the issue. And it's not living up on the in the jar on the shelf anymore. We're taking it down and talking about it. So um, for me, that's been the biggest barrier, but we're crossing those roadblocks. And I just echo Eliza of, you know, make sure industry is at the table and and we're probably not the first, you know, coalition partner you think of (laughs) on this issue all the time, but, uh, you know, it's certainly something we've grown passionate about and, you know, we want to be part of the solution. Well, I think this webinar today does a good job of showing why y'all's industry is important for bringing to the table. Like the video you guys showed, showed that these workers in these fields are in places that you wouldn't typically expect. Um, I know I used to work in hotels. I mean, we'd be checking in hundreds of people a day. And so, you know, if you can increase up the chances that you're going to identify somebody, um, that's great. Everybody wins from something like that. 
Um, Mike, I was actually going to ask you, um, I'm curious if you know the Montana bill that you mentioned, um, if you know how they honed in on that issue or maybe um, that's not your area of expertise. No. Um, yeah, I, I do <laughs> actually do know quite a bit about this. And I am not going to take credit for this, but I am going to put credit where credit is due. And that would be straight to our attorney general. He, uh, before he was the attorney general of Montana, he was a prosecutor, um, uh, a county attorney, and he was actually prosecuting a lot of these folks. And I, I sort of think it was the synergies of the Sentinel Project and Austin Knutson getting elected. And then the lifeguard group came in because they've been trying to change legislation. And that's the rocket fuel I talked about earlier that's been added to the issue. And now it's like, let's go, let's get it done. And straight up just awareness. You know, we sponsored a, a lunch in the Capitol Rotunda, um, a human trafficking awareness deal we'll co-sponsored with the attorney general. And just people, the looks on their faces are like, I didn't think this was a thing. And so I think just general awareness, take it out, take the jar off the shelf and talk about it. That's, I'd leave it at that. That makes sense. So even if maybe somebody is not an expert on the issue, they can say, this is important to me and here's resources where you can learn more about it. Okay. Um, so we have a couple of questions um, come, that have come in. Um, one is from Joyce in North Carolina. So she is very interested in these ideas and they're making this a priority in North Carolina. Um, she wants the links to the legislation. So if, um, I'll get with you guys afterwards and make sure we get those links, but those I'll make sure those are shared um, in the follow-up email. So that way you guys have those resources. And then um, another question, what sort of legislation best supports survivor programs? Does anybody have some insight on that? I can, I can chime in a little bit. I mean, I think there's a wide variety depending on what type of support we're talking about for survivors. I mean, Michael talked a little bit about the um, expungement issue and employment and fair employment, but we also see a lot in the needs of housing and emergency housing for survivors. So um, there's some examples of just allocation and support from government to nonprofit organizations who are meeting that need um, and certifying safe houses in these states. And so I think there's a good bit of information from safehouseproject.org, one of our partners, um, as a very tangible way um, that legislation and sort of government partnership could be supporting that particular needs of survivors. But I would say it really spans the gamut. And there's... Um, Polaris Project is the organization that runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline, but also does this tremendous amount of survivor support. And I would pay special attention to the study that I mentioned that's going to be released in February, because I think that's going to give us a whole lot of insights in this space directly from survivors in a way we've never had before. And I think using that to inform any type of legislation that's being considered in this space is, is critical, honestly. Um, and so I know kind of connected to that. I know um, which group was it that said they had grants? I think it was American Hotel and Lodging. So you said you guys have grants that groups can apply for. Um, so if anybody on the on the line maybe be, like knows a smaller group, like a state based group that's looking for a grant to help them, 
um, they can reach out to you or they should go directly to somewhere else. Okay. So we just launched the survivor fund. And what that means is we have money rolling in the door, this tremendous and deep and passionate commitment by our industry. And we're working on the framework for awarding those monies over the next five years. Um, We're hoping that we have a goal of $10 million in that fund by the end of 2023, but we will be making our first awards from that survivor fund by middle of this year. Um, And I think we are looking at a variety of different organizations. It'll be an invitation only process, but I would love to hear from our networks, including individuals on this call who are working with strong organizations in this space um, that provide direct services, but also have replicable programs, right? Because we know the issue has to be customized uh, locally, but we also know there are effective things that can work everywhere and we need national capacity built. So those are the types of organizations we want to know about and certainly open the survivor fund for those types of applications. Okay, perfect. So if somebody is calling a legislative office and like, I run a group, I'm trying to get you know, funding. I'm trying to get resources. Yeah. You, you yeah and there'll be updates on our website. Um, and I can provide the link in here about the survivor fund and the process for that, um, over okay. the next month or so. And, um, certainly Polaris project as well maintains a list of sort of funding opportunities for survivor organizations too. Okay. Yeah. Just piggybacking off of Eliza's, um, we had uh, Sarah Gilmer, who's the Senior Policy Advisor and Victim Service Program Coordinator for the Office for Victim of Crimes at the U.S. Department of Justice, prevent um, to our group, like our internal group in May. And the U.S. Department of Justice does have a lot of grant programs. Uh, according to their size, they awarded over $300 million in the past year. So that may be something that, you know, the attendees may want to take another look at. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you. Um, so I'm I'm getting more questions, uh, text and email and everything. So this is great. There's um, this one is a little more specific to Florida. Um, so maybe somebody has some insight on this. Um, there's some apparently there's some legislators they're running into the problem where the legislators are saying, okay, but buying sex is normal and maybe it's not related to sex trafficking. Um, is, do you, have you run into that anywhere before and has, do you have any good messaging resources or you have know of a message yourself, um, that kind of deals with this issue? Like, well, buying sex is, is fine. Um, it's not sex trafficking. I will say that I know that this has come up in Washington state. Um, before I, I was unaware it was happening in Florida as well. Okay. I would you- say it's an ongoing um, conversation that I've heard bubble up on and off over the years and in different states. I think there, again, I really rely on our nonprofit partners for a lot of this sort of subject matter expertise in particular. So polarisproject.org and um missingkids.org both have some blogs and other recent articles in this space that talk about that conversation I think would be helpful okay that's helpful I think I think you're right the humanizing aspect of it like no these are people who are being forced into this situation against their will and um in that in the talk we had uh, during the annual meeting plenary session they give a very clear definition about like yes. what's human trafficking mm-hmm. versus prostitution cuz right. there's like technical legal differences and things like that and so i think if you all have any links i could send out to that go to those 
survivor testimonies and things like that that talk about their experiences and probably makes that distinction between like prostitution and human trafficking clear. Um, that would be great. And I'd be happy to feature those. Right. It doesn't um, have force, fraud, or coercion. And then if it's a child, no matter what. So yes, we can certainly provide that language. Okay. That would be great. Thank you. Uh, and I don't want to be cutting off any speakers. So if I'm going too quickly, please let me know. I'm happy to go uh, see the floor to you. Um, another question is, um, there's some fear in some industries, um, about being implicated as helping traffickers and being held criminally and maybe civilly responsible. Um, have you seen some hesitancy in industries about getting involved in this? Cause they don't want to, they're trying to help them. Maybe they're, they do it incorrectly. And so they're worried about liability. And have you addressed that ever or has have you heard of it and how it was overcome? I, I mean, I'll, I'll say our, our broader campaign is, is you know, we're not asking anyone to be superheroes in this or, you know, it's, it's an awareness campaign and it's, you know, sharing what you've seen with the experts and the law enforcement folks that need to handle it. So, you know, from our side, we're, we're not asking anyone to, to put themselves in danger to risk that sort of liability. It's It's very much, you know, let's be those eyes that law enforcement and other officials don't have. And, you know, like I said, 600,000 plus alcohol retailers in the country from bars and restaurants and clubs and convenience stores and gas stations. And, you know, that's what we're focused on more than sort of that call to action. So uh, at least from our side, we haven't had a lot of that. Um, I, I think, you know, we haven't really had pushback, but, you know, the one question we were getting early on, and, and I think it's why Mike's slide was so powerful was, how do we know if we're making a difference? How do we know um, if, if all everything we're investing here is, is paying off? And seeing the number of calls in Montana over two years go from six to 106, um, that's what success looks like to us. That, that's, you know, our guys and, and not just our members exclusively, but more attention coming to this issue and, and hopefully more people being safe. Yeah, Dave, all great points. And, you know, I can just maybe localize it a little bit more in Montana. Um, when 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 that hotline number is called, the, the volunteer that picks up on the other end asks a series of scripted questions, right? Because you want to get all the information accurate, consistent, so you can measure the data. One of the first questions, the first question is, are you calling for you or for someone else? And then the second question is, are you a beer distributor or employee? And so that we can track those calls and feed them back into the machine to go, hey, look, everybody, this thing is working. It's good. And the vast majority of those calls came from the cab of the beer truck across the parking lot. And, you know, we made it very clear to people, let law enforcement do their job. You know, I mean, I can't stop a guy if he's going to jump out of a truck and go tackle somebody to the ground, but certainly don't condone it. Um, and we haven't had any of those issues happen. But the way that we designed the Sentinel project is we took this very issue and put it into the design. That's why the windshield stickers are right up here in the truck. And we've told them, you've got like six different ways you can report this thing via text message, via chat, and via the phone call. So um, we have not had any issues. There was the concern, but once we explained to them, look, you're not carrying a, a badge and a gun. So just let them do their job. Okay. That makes sense. I know we're coming up on time right now. 
Um, I do have one more question that was submitted and I've, I'm wondering, so the question is, have the needs of survivors changed over time? So I'm wondering if you've heard anything in your conversations with groups um, about this. Um, then I have one final question too uh, from me. So I'm sorry if we're going over a little bit, uh, you all, but clearly this is an important topic that people are engaged on. So thank you everybody for sticking with us. Um, but yeah, so have you heard anything about the needs of survivors changing over time? Um, I'll just echo what you saw in our video, which is that we've certainly heard that um, those needs have deepened. I mean, us as a society as a whole post-pandemic, right? We see this in our kids in schools. We see it with our businesses and our employees, the same as survivors are seeing. So it's not just about we need a job. It's also we need mental health support and we need family support and we need community support. So I would just say it's deepened. Um, I think we've also just learned over time that to truly be successful um, in, in keeping them on that path forward is that type of cross-line support of all different types and forms. And, and frankly, from a legislative standpoint, from a government standpoint, that means it's expensive. I mean, it's not, it's, it's really hard to decrease those costs if you're going to do it right. Um, and I think that's just important to recognize that, that that's similar with populations here as it is for our kids um, post-pandemic. Uh, yes, I think in the uh, in the plenary session we had, we heard from a, uh, a sheriff um, and the attorney general in Florida, and they said the same thing. It's like the resources needed to help these survivors are quite extensive, and so it, they just need to increase support. Um, the final question I wanted to ask you all, and I, I saw it in a couple of the presentations, was that you're going around the country and you're having events um, to highlight your your guys's campaigns and efforts against. Um, preventing sex trafficking and also just human trafficking. Um, are these events that state legislators and policy staff can attend and join in where they can get educated and do the trainings and things like that? 100% from our side, you know, we, you know, want to get press there. We want legislators there. We want policymakers, you know, anyone that, that can participate and, uh, yeah, at least from our side, we'll probably have some cold beers there for you too. But uh, um, not fair, not fair that you can offer that. <laughs> um, but but no, it, it, you know, I, I think the hotel video said it best, where where Chip said, you know, this is sort of a moral obligation thing, and and you know, we we don't want to do this exclusively. We want to do this with as big an audience as possible. Perfect. Um, that's what we like to hear. Uh, so. When we hear of these groups heading to the states, we'll be sure to reach out and let you all know. So that way you know about the opportunities open to you. And I'm sure they will be reaching out to you as well to highlight all the great work they're doing. Um, but any final comments from anybody? Otherwise, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us today to hear about this important topic. Especially thank you to all of our speakers and uh, for all the great work you're doing, highlighting this um, important topic and states today. Um, as I said earlier, we're gonna be sending out an email to everybody that lists the resources. Um, it's gonna have links to everything and it will also have a link to the ALEC plenary session that addressed this issue as well. But thank you very much and have a great day.